Thanks, everybody, for downloading the latest edition of the Lions Maven podcast, made possible thanks to Sports Illustrated. I am the doc, John Macaroon. So looking forward to my next conversation with a former Wolverines tight end, play tight end in the National Football League with everything surrounding the Wolverines, headed to the Orange Bowl, the college football playoffs, the Detroit Lions, and their situation. Always enjoy a football conversation. And today's guest is none other than Jake Butt. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to talking ball with you. Likewise, John. Um, great time to be talking Michigan football. Um, you know, obviously, we haven't been in this position for a while. Big Ten champions. We're on the right side of the victory against Ohio State. Um, so I could do this all day. I'm excited to get into it. And I think for Michigan supporters, this year has just been a pleasure because of all the things surrounding Jim Harbaugh, waiting patiently to see the Michigan program rise. And now to see what Jim Harbaugh has accomplished, I think from your perspective, I think uniquely you can speak to what it's been like now supporting Michigan and now seeing the fruits of their labor headed to the final four in the college football playoff. I was going to say it's a pleasure for most of us that are true fans, but there was a couple fans that were calling for Jim's head last season and calling for Ward's head last season. They didn't want to, they didn't want to see another year. Um, so in that sense, there's a couple people that were on the wrong side of that bet. Um, but for those of us who understand the complexity of football, you, there's no room for emotion. Right? The emotions for the fans in the stadium. You have to be logical. If you're going to fire a coach, you better be damn sure you're going to replace him with a clear improvement. And there's not Jim Harbaugh is a rare example of success in multiple places at the college and the NFL level. You just saw Urban Meyer try and fail. You've seen um, Nick Saban try and fail. He's an awesome college football coach, but Jim is just a ball coach. All right. When he's around football, he's at his best. He literally loves the game of football like nobody else I've ever been around. He's just an absolute ball coach. People expect that winning football is easy, but it's not. There's so much that goes into it. Um, and, and you're not always going to be at the pinnacle every single year, especially at a university like Michigan. This isn't Alabama where you have our academic standard to get in is on pace with a Northwestern and a Stanford. But people expect us to be in Alabama or in Oklahoma. That just doesn't make sense. So in that sense, already the success Jim's been having this year is put on a whole nother level because of the, the, the standard that he has to meet. Um, you know, there's certain recruits that if your SAT isn't right, they, they can't let you play, you know, and that's not an excuse. It's just the reality. And it is not an excuse because Michigan has plenty of resources where we should never have a season like last year. But I'm saying there's no such thing as a generality. There's a big picture here that has to be understood and talked about. Um, and for Coach Harbaugh, for him to stand strong all offseason, all season, for these seniors to come through, Aiden Hutchinson, Caden McNamara, Josh Ross, um, you know, these guys that have really put their stuck their necks out and competed all year long. They're finally being rewarded with the fruits of their labor. It's great to see. But as they've said, and as they'll tell you, the job's not finished. They have bigger goals ahead. And, you know, they won a little bit of hardware, but the big hardware they're chasing after is the national championship. So I'm excited to go down there. I'll be down at the game. Excited to watch that and see if they can, you know, go through the heart of the SEC and win an Addy. Yeah, absolutely. Against Georgia, two powerhouse programs going to go at it on New Year's Eve. I'm just wondering, you know, myself viewing from the outside, you get a sense that at least this year, and obviously winning cures all, but you get a sense that maybe Jim Harbaugh pivoted a little bit in regards to kind of the overall attitude of the team. I mean, when did you ever see Michigan jump around on the road against an opponent, against a rival? You got a sense that potentially after a couple years and looking at everything, the coaching staff got younger 
it seemed like the morale, the football people really loved to play over there to play at Ann Arbor. And to see the kind of overall attitude and shift, I think, translated to the football field. Have you noticed maybe a slight shift in how Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh conducted himself? I would say that's that's at the heart of all this is, you know, Jim has shifted. But again, that doesn't tell the full story. When Jim came to coach us back in 2015, we went seven and six, five and seven my first two years. We were at home for Christmas. We didn't even make a bowl game. That's unacceptable at the University of Michigan. So Jim can't come in and be your best friend. There's no smiles. What are we celebrating? What are we smiling about? One season isn't enough. Two seasons, maybe, you know, but you have to, you have to earn that right to, to get your coach's trust. And no two teams are the same. So each year is a reevaluation by your head coach and your, your coaching staff as a general statement is, can, do we trust these guys? Are, are, do they, are they going to handle themselves? Is the locker room going to police itself? I think Jim finally trusted that, understanding who's your leaders. Cade McNamara, very trustworthy guy, on the field, off the field emotionally relationships in the locker room Aiden Hutchinson he's an NFL player sitting in your locker room the dude leads by example first all right I can trust those guys that they're going to police the locker room and hey if they want to have fun at jump around that's when the game of football is fun you've earned that right to say that's actually our jump around we're going to have a great time with it that's when the football's clicking that's when it becomes really fun and when you see that that's when you know you have something special too so um, it all starts with Jim, I think, bringing in Coach McDonald as a defensive coordinator, going younger on the offensive staff. I think Coach, Coach Gaddis has continued to improve each year. So it starts with the head man, then you have your coordinators, then you have your assistant coaches. There's layers to it. Um, I think everybody raised the bar this year, including the players, and the collective success of the team is not due to one big step. It's a little bit here, a little bit here that's added up to a lot. That's the sign of a good ball team. Yeah, I'm looking forward to get Jake's breakdown on how he sees things shaking out between Michigan and Georgia. But I do want to rewind a little bit. You brought it up. You were not recruited by Jim Harbaugh. Brady Hoke was the head coach at the time when you came in. Tell us a little bit about being recruited by Michigan, choosing that process, and choosing the university you wanted to play ball for. We could talk for an hour. This could be its own show, man, seriously. Because I grew up in Columbus. I grew up a Buckeye fan. My grandfather played at Notre Dame. So my second favorite team was Notre Dame. Those are two of Michigan's biggest rivals. Never in a million years did I think I was going to go to Michigan. Um, and slowly I went to the first Michigan-Ohio State game under the lights. Roy Roundtree fade in the end zone by Denard Robinson last second. Electric. I think it was a record-setting uh, attendance at the point in time. I saw Michigan State, Michigan that year. Michigan won on a last-second field goal, an electric game. This is back in, I believe, 2012. Um, and then finally, the last game I went to see – or this was 2011, excuse me. Last game I went to see was uh, Michigan-Ohio State in the big house. Luke Fickle was coaching Ohio State. Michigan got their first big win against them in a very long time. Um, And I found myself rooting for Michigan. I'm like, okay, like maybe there really is something about this place. It was awesome to see. They won the Sugar Bowl. It seemed like everything's on track. Obviously, for me, I prioritize academics. I prioritize life after football. And what I'll tell every single recruit is there is no better balance of all of the intangibles in the University of Michigan. Of course, if you're a football player, you want to play on the big stage. You want to play on the national stage. You want to be on national TV on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. So you got that at Michigan. Check that box. But you also have a world-renowned academic institution. You also have one of the biggest alumni bases in the world with Fortune 500 CEOs all over the place. A lot of needle movers out there in public. So when you're done with football, you can pretty much get into, you have a, you have a pathway And they say it's about who you know. 
you have a pathway into anything you want to do post-career if you play the game right. So um, in that sense, Michigan is a perfect balance of everything. I don't actually see a better place that can even come close to competing with you when you look at all that. For me, it was an easy decision. Um, and, and now, you know, my football career was cut a little short because of the injuries. Now I can reap the benefits of the power of that block end. So I think it's hard to maybe get a 17-year-old, 16-year-old to understand that. Maybe the parents can understand it. My dad was big in, in um, helping me understand it. Um, it's the it's the 50 year decision, not the five year decision here when you come to Michigan. So um, I love it. I would recommend it. I hope my children go here one day. Um, I love it. I'm living in Ann Arbor. It's a great city. Um, I believe maize and blue, man. Yeah, absolutely. What was Brady Hoke like when you first step in? You're a freshman trying to get to your feet, your feet wet, get your feet under you. What was it like to get acclimated under Brady Hoke? Brady is one of the best human beings I've ever been around. And sometimes you get in call, you know, again, there's got to be a certain level of respect between coach and players. And sometimes that's built on fear and you don't feel comfortable that you can talk to your head coach and your coaching staff. And that's actually healthy in the sport of football. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. It's just the reality. But with coach Hoke, he literally was like your, your grandpa, you know, he was like your dad. He, he was a guy that you just trusted and you loved. And he, we would, you know, we'd enter the team room and, you know, we'd all cheer for him. He'd get us all fired up. Just a jolly guy smiling, um, you know, but ultimately you're judged on results. It's not about there's no feel good stories in football. You either do or you don't. And we did it. So, um, you know, it didn't work out. We had to move on. Now, Brady, you see him having an awesome season out there in San Diego State. He's a he's a good football coach. Let's not be mistaken. Um, it's hard to win at this at this league. But the fact that he's able to win here at Michigan, he did a little bit. Now he's at SDSU. He's winning there. He's a good ball coach. So I'm rooting for him. Um, and there will always be a special connection, man. When we first graduated, a couple of us graduated. We're out there training in San Diego um, for the combine. Brady hit all of us up. He took us to his house. He was living there in San Diego. We got a tour, got to see his wife. He took us out to lunch. We just caught up. There was like six, seven of us. I mean, that doesn't happen every day, man. That, you don't get that with every coach. So um, I got a lot of respect for Coach Hoke, a lot of love for him, too. So the university transitions away from Brady Hoke, and now in comes Jim Harbaugh. You now are in a position where you're becoming an upperclassman. What is the situation like as you hear that Jim Harbaugh is coming in? Are you starting to feel like, okay, the situation's about to change? We have, we're going to have major expectations because this is a coach that came from the NFL, had success, coached in the Super Bowl at the highest stages of success in the National Football League. Just for you personally, what was your mindset like and what was it like around that time when Jim Harbaugh is now coming in to coach back at Michigan? wasn't just me. It was everybody. And we, we wanted that. We wanted to work. Um, you know, it wasn't because of a, a short uh, shortness of talent that we weren't succeeding. My first two years, we had NFL players all over the field. 2013, our whole team damn near went to the NFL. Same with 2014. We had a lot of talent. We should, we underperformed greatly. And it wasn't because we weren't working hard. You know, we wanted the high level schemes. We wanted to, you know, have greatness demand out of us. And we knew that's what Coach, Har uh, Coach Harbaugh was going to do. Like I said, when Coach Hoke used to walk into the team rooms, we'd all stand up and cheer. And it was like a joint thing. You know, you, 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 he'd get us riled up. We'd get him riled up. We're sitting there in our first meeting before Jim, Jim walks in and his uh, assistant, Colonel Minnick, you know, comes in the door and dead quiet. No one knows. Are we going to cheer? Are we not going to cheer? And Colonel's like, hey, uh, I know you guys had this thing where you like to, you know, cheer and celebrate when, you know, Coach walks in. It's like, we're not going to do that this year. Jim Harbaugh, he's dead serious. We're here to win ball games, not to pat, pat ourselves on the back. And just walks out of the room, and everybody's like, you know, we sit up in our we sit up in our chairs a little bit straighter. You know, you get your notepad ready. You're you're like, all right, man, 
it's pretty damn clear what's what the expectations will be around here. And that kind of just set the tone for what Coach Harbaugh did. We, you know, four-hour practices all spring, um, the maximum time you were allowed to be on the field. And I'll tell you the thing about a four-hour practice is, and this, this was the big thing for me, that I, I kind of realized what he was doing. Four-hour practice, everyone talks the talk. It's just true. Everyone says they want to be great. But do you really want to be great when that hour three mark passes? Or are you ready to throw in the towel? That's the separator. I'll come that hour three mark. If you don't want this, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb, man. If you, if you don't want to be a part of something great, you're going to be the odd man out. And Jim used to tell us is, hey, guys, we're not looking for 80 of you. We need 22. We need 11 Warriors on offense and 11 Warriors on defense. Like we're not looking. We don't need 50, 60. We just need 11 of the right guys. That's all we're looking for. And I love that. I thought that was great. It's like, hey, listen, man, you don't want to be here. Open door policy, get out. We need 22 warriors, and we can win with that. And I love that. And it kind of set the tone of, hey, man, we're here to win ball games. We're not here to, we're not here to you know, mess around or, or celebrate or have feel-good stories. We win or we lose. And, and I think that's who Jim Harbaugh is. I'm loving your mindset, and I think it speaks to you and your character in that you understand the reason why a coach is hard on you. It's because he's trying to bring out the most out of the talent that he has. And I think that that sometimes goes understated that sometimes you hear about coaches and their relationships with their players. And sometimes you you don't kind of know the underlying situations that you're sharing in that Jim Harbaugh was tasked with a major responsibility, get Michigan to the heights of success. And it speaks to you and your mindset that you understood that right away that, Hey, things are different, but you understood there's a purpose. There's a reason these things go down and it's in the pursuit of greatness, not just winning divisions and things like that, but potentially to have success at the height of college football. And uh, I can respect your mindset and the way uh, the approach that you took with it. So that first season, I have to ask you about it. It's uh, Jim Harbaugh's first game against Michigan state. Everything's under control at the big house. Everything's going well, but unfortunately things did not shake out there at the end. What was it like for you on, you know, in that game, knowing that you're right there about to beat your rival, Michigan State 2015, but unfortunately trouble with the snap then occurs. What was was that like for you? What was your mindset? I was in the shield in the punt. I tackled him into the end zone when he separated his hip. I was that guy. Some lessons are learned very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And you know, unfortunately, man, someone has to be on the wrong side of history just as much as someone's on the right side of history. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing to to reminisce on that and think, wow, we were like, after I tackled him in the end zone, I, I literally felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Like, but there's an energy that was just sucked out of the stadium. 110,000 people are just like, nah, there's no way. I, I act like, I can't even describe the feeling, even walking into the locker room, like, that didn't actually just happen. It was crazy. But I say some lessons are learned hard. We had a we had a, a spread punt formation where we would just say, hey, we're just going to beat you. You know, no matter what you guys do, we're just going to get the punt off before you can even block it. So normally you have two gunners out wide and then you have like your, your punt, your, you know, your offensive line on the punt line, your long snapper, and you have three in the shield in the back and then your punter. Michigan State had all 11 guys committed to blocking the punt. They had no one over the gunners. They had no one back. Now, typically what you do is you have a gunner check, and these gunners come down, and they, they block those edge guys. So that way you have, you have uh, what would it be, eight on nine. You have your gunners taking care of one, so that leaves nine on defense. 
you have eight because the punter is by himself on nine. You can do that. So the punter has to beat one guy. This time the punter had to beat three guys. We were in a tough situation. If you get a clean snap and you get a clean punt, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you want to scheme to give yourself an advantage. So that's a lesson we put in. A, we put in a safety punt the next week. Um, probably have had that the rest of the time. It's a tough lesson learned. Uh, but I'll never forget going back in the locker room. Again, Jim Harbaugh, leadership. Everybody's like, well, what, what are we going to do, man? I mean, what you got to say something. First thing Jim says is we're going to put steel in our spines. You know, we will put steel in our spines and we will get back to work. Like we will, we will overcome this. We will use this as fuel. We will be better because of this. So uh, just speaks on his leadership, man. It's just, I love playing for coach Harbaugh. I loved, I love playing for that coaching staff. Um, and, you know, that was just a moment where you, you can, you can either abandon ship and turn against one each other, or you can come together. And I felt we actually came together and it strengthened our love for one another. It's easy to celebrate all the good times, but what do you do? What, what happens when you face adversity? And it really speaks to what happened this year. Uh, Michigan went to Michigan State and uh, did not obviously come away with the victory, but you get a sense that, you know what? Through adversity, the team came together and realized that everything was still ahead of them if things were to shake out the right way. And sometimes you have to recognize that not everything is going to go smooth on your path to success. But if you keep chipping away, if you have that steel, if you have that reserve, not how many times you fall down, how many times, do you get back up? And I think speaking with you is the ultimate testament to that going through your experience. I want to speak to the final game that you did have at Michigan. Unfortunately, your career at Michigan did not end in any way that you would have liked ended in the orange bowl with injury. Yeah. uh, Tough man. Tough to revisit that. Obviously that was, you know, I think both Jalen Smith and I are the two poster boys for, you know, um, sitting out of bowl games probably should have sat out of the bowl game. You know, that's what everybody would say, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and I don't regret it. I value the principles. I value the lessons that are learned through adversity. Um, I think until you understand where I'm coming from, you'll never actually understand where I'm coming from. Um, But my principles are different than the next man. You know, what I value in life is different for the next man. And and who am I to tell a man what his values and principles should be? So um, it's obviously the hot topic. A lot of guys are sitting out of the bowl games nowadays let the kids make the best decision for themselves, for their families, for their futures. We don't question Brian Kelly when he leaves, you know, when he leaves Notre Dame to go down to LSU and Notre Dame has a chance to go to the college football player. No one bats an eye. Let these play, why, why are we holding 18 to 22-year-olds to a higher standard than we are to a $100 million head coach? Make that make sense to me. You know, it doesn't. Um, now, if a kid wants to play or not, again, that's on him. If he wants to play, great. I, I will re- re- always respect that. But if a kid doesn't want to play and he wants to protect his assets and his future, I respect that too. Um, you know, for me, you could argue it was it played a factor in the fact that I continued to get injured in the NFL and never really got my career off the ground. Obviously lost probably seven figures. Um, that's just the reality of it. You know, it's not an emotional, it's just the reality of where I am. And for some guys, I'm sure no matter what you do, that's going to be the reality for others going forward as well. So no matter if you try to play it as safe as possible, those kind of things are going to happen. Um, but guys will look at what happened to me and they're probably, there will actually be a question to be answered when, where in the past you probably wouldn't question that you just go take the field with your brothers. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the hot topic because it involves a lot of interesting psychological dynamics, which is the role of, of thinking about yourself versus the needs of a team and things like that in regards to somebody that does opt out. And you recognize too that 
we're also in a different world now where there's NIL, there's opportunities for players to take advantage of situations that you did not have the opportunity. What do you make of NIL? Do you see the, the good thing is, is that I know a lot of talk was about the potential negatives that could have come about from this, but the blessing in a situation like this, and you've seen it at Michigan, players have taken some of their funds and have given back, have shown that, Hey, that you don't have to assume that a young person is going to take this money and then become uh, an individual that's selfish or uh, somebody that's not going to think about the team players at Michigan uh, all over the country have taken advantage of NIL and even given back to the community. And I think it's opened up a, a world of opportunity in college athletics. Do you regret that the NIL didn't come your way back in the day? No, not regret. I was actually a huge advocate my senior year. If you go all the way back, I was a huge advocate for players being able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. I thought it was ridiculous that there's somebody making money off of the work you're putting in on the field. You help prop up the the, the brand of your university. I would see butt jerseys and butt shirts and, and, and a bunch of butt gear in, that, in the Michigan Stadium, and someone was making money off of that. I wasn't. I was getting 1400 bucks a month for a rent check, and I'm not complaining about that. It's better than a lot of people. But the fact of the matter is, is someone was making money off of the work I was putting in. I think it's a great thing. What are the negatives people say? It's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, affect the balance of college football. When was a five-star going to California State? When was a five-star going to, you know, Montana State? They weren't. <laughs> they were always going to Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma. That's where they always were going to go. So don't give me that. In fact, you got a five-star going to Jackson State this year with Deion Sanders. When did that happen before NIL? It just happened now. So you want to talk about balance, you could make an argument it's actually helping balance. Texas is back. They're getting better recruits. Um, you could argue that that's better. Now, you see these kids. Kids have great hearts. Kids understand the big picture. Kids are more giving. They don't understand maybe the financial implications and the hardships of future life. They just want to give and give back. That's great. Maybe we should give more money to these college players. They're actually using it for good in the world rather than buy, you know, whatever, buying material goods. They're giving back to their communities. Look at Blake Corum. Look at J.J. McCarthy. Look at, look at, they motivated Jim Harbaugh to do it this year. Look what Jim did with his, uh, his playoff bonuses, giving back to staff that was affected by COVID. It's a, it's a good thing, man. Oftentimes, younger kids, their, their, their hearts are pure. It's great. Let's, let's, let's see more of that. And, the only thing I would say is just to make sure you have the right people in your in your corner because you have a lot to balance. You have, you know, your morning lift, then you go to class, then you have treatment, then you have practice, then you have film, then you have study hall, then you have your girlfriend, your friends, your family. There's not a lot of time in the day to go do signings and a bunch of NIL events. So you have to have somebody that understands that and is in your corner and not going to put you put you in harm's way. Um, they're actually going to take care of you and do the right thing to, to balance that whole schedule. And I think there's something to be to be had there. Now it's the Wild West. I think the I think as we go on, rules will change and 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 will adapt. But the NCAA is in a tough place where I don't know how much jurisdiction they have with the Supreme Court ruling saying, um, you know, basically these guys are they are workers and they should be compensated. So I don't know how much the NCAA thinks they or could actually step in and make changes. Yeah, before we break down Michigan, Georgia, Orange Bowl, college football playoff, I'm just wondering if NIL was available, you think you would have been the best salesman for cars, products, uh, you know, institutions, what do you think? Uh, toilet paper? Charmin? What would have been something you would have uh, wanted to sell? Man, I'll tell you that I would love to, you know, Charmin would have always been good. Uh, yeah. But I think, my, I think I would have got a lot of jerseys to the to the age group from four years old to 10 years old. Little kids think my last name is hilarious. So 
Um, I think I would have sold a lot of jerseys to the younger generation so they could laugh at my last name. Um, and we had fun, man. We had a butt army going where, you know, people were wearing my jerseys with the, you know, making fun of my last name. It was great. So the shirts and the t-shirts would have, would have done really, really well. Who knows where it would have went, but would have probably been getting more than 1300 bucks a month in, in terms of a rent check. So um, I'm just glad it's, it's sorted out and working, working out the right way now. So I'm very fascinated from your perspective. You watch ball, you understand, you've watched Michigan all year. You understand the framework of how college football works. SEC, George is a powerhouse. They're coming in, you know, a little salty after a tough loss to Alabama. What do you make of this contest? How do you see the pathway for success for Michigan to advance to the college football final? A lot of people are not giving Michigan a chance. Good. It's been that way the whole year. I think, uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's when people make those statements, there's no logic. There's no understanding of the game of football. Um, there's no breakdown, no analysis. Georgia's good. Don't get me wrong. I don't think either team are going to blow the other ones out. I'm seeing some predictions by analysts, uh, you know, different networks that are saying, you know, Georgia's going to blow Michigan out. They got a great defense, you know, but we face great defenses too. Wisconsin, had, you know, is right up there with Georgia, and we were able to find cracks in them. Now we didn't ha- we didn't rush for 300 yards like we're used to doing, but we were able to scheme and find cracks to give ourselves an advantage. So, um, one thing I'm looking out: Dan Lemming, Georgia's defensive coordinator. He's been rumored to be the next head coach at Oregon. Now, when that happens, typically a coach is one foot in, one foot out, man, and that's a tough place to be, especially when you're trying to play at the highest level. I don't know if anything's been officially confirmed or not. But I would be willing to bet that that's probably where he's going. And I wonder if that plays a factor in this game and gives Michigan's offense a chance to succeed. I think, you know, this is going to be a hard-fought game. Got to establish the run in some fashion. You can't expect to rush for 200-plus yards, but having a variety of ways to run the ball, not just running it up the middle, implementing some of the jet sweeps, the counters, the read options, trying to give yourself a schematic advantage, and then timely play actions – um, and having your, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to making, making the plays when the ball comes your way uh, out on the edge, whether it's a receiver tight end. If we can do that and put up points. I think our defense has a better advantage against Georgia's offense and should be able to keep them relatively under wraps. So if we can get into that 30 plus point range, 25, 30 points, I think we got a really good chance to win this game. Of course, I'm rocking with the boys in blue. Um, I think they're going to come up, come up top 30 to 23 Michigan's my prediction. And then you got to also recognize that Michigan's defense has one of the premier players in all of college football and Aiden Hutchinson. And if he steps up his game and does what he's done all year, becomes a disruptor, then you could have a lot of great things go Michigan's way. What are your thoughts on Aiden Hutchinson? Does he deserve to be the number one pick in the 2022 NFL draft? Sure. Absolutely. I think when you're picking number one, it's not just for a lack of talent. It's for a lack of culture as well. When you have a good culture, you don't pick number one, you know, you don't, you don't ever slip that deep into turmoil. If you have a good culture, you don't, you don't ever pick top five. You know, you're usually at least your floor is that mid round. So if you're picking number one, you need more than talent. You need somebody that's going to change your culture. Well, you can literally look from last year to this year, what Aiden Hutchinson has done for Michigan's culture as a leader, as a player, you know, obviously his on-field success speaks to his talent and his abilities. They're as good as anybody's in the country. But what I think people need to consider is Aiden Hutchinson is a guy that changed your culture because he works first. He walks the walk first. He's willing to go the extra mile. He's willing to do whatever it takes to win. That's exactly why I would be picking Aiden Hutchinson uh, number one overall. If it doesn't go that way, if it's Kayvon Thibodeau that ends up going to Jacksonville, if it shakes out as it stands and Aiden's there at number two, there's an interesting dynamic at play there for 
a situation like Aiden's. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on it in that Aiden would then be selected number two by the Detroit Lions, the hometown guy. Do you see a situation in which maybe the pressure of being number two, the pressure of having the expectation of the defense potentially being uh, placed on the weight of his shoulders? Would that be something that could be a disadvantage in regards to Aiden's career in the NFL? I think it would be great. I think obviously having the hometown guy playing alongside Romeo Quara, potentially learning from the likes of a veteran in Charles Harris, if he comes back to the team, I think with Aaron Glenn, you would see the rise. You would see the potential uh, be, you would see the potential in Aiden Hutchinson come out. I think working with the Lions defense, as you've seen now, they've progressed through the course of the season. But do you see just in terms of the pressure of playing in front of the hometown crowd, do you see in any way that being a disadvantage for Aiden? Not at all. No, I think that's kind of narratives. And I understand the, the media aspect of that. I think that's narratives that have to get talked about. But really, at the end of the day, you either perform or you don't. And that's what a guy that Aiden Hutchinson, that, that's the way he measures himself. Um, and in, in either of those dudes, either of those, those edge rushers could go one, they could go two. I don't think you're going to have a wrong decision with those guys. Relatively, you know, when you look at defensive ends coming out, they're the safe picks. You can turn on the film and say, all right, this guy's going to wreak havoc and, and be a game changer for us defensively. I don't think there's necessarily a right or a wrong pick. But, um, you know, you come into Detroit with Aiden. It's cool. It's a great story. But – Frankly, all that really matters is does he perform on Sundays? And, you know, they'll, they'll write narratives around that. But at its foundation is he's either getting the job done or he isn't. Um, and I, I would be willing to bet just knowing Aiden's character, knowing his growth year over year, his love for the game of football. If you don't love the game of football, you're not going to improve year over year. You know, he loves the game of football. So he's going to continue to raise the bar and find new techniques and new moves to continue to improve in his NFL career. Um, he's got all the intangible side speed strength, uh, but you know, he's got a multitude of ways he can rush the passer, um, with, a, with a deep, deep bag of moves. So I think he'll have on-field success and we won't even get to that point of talking about that narrative. So if number two is there and he's available, Brad Holmes should run up there, give the card for Aiden Hutchinson and then slam the table like he did when he was pounding the table for Penesul. And then, uh, yeah. knowing that you have one of the premier defensive players in all of college football. Let me say let me say this too is uh, absolutely and 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 there's there's again culture matters. I've seen some Detroit Lion fans talk about, hey man, like we just lost the number one pick. What are we doing? You 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 need to change your culture. You need to start winning football games. That's what changes the culture. Get back to winning. Screw the number one pick. You know you still have plenty of it's a, it's a crapshoot anyways, man. You, you're guessing really. You, you're making an educated guess. You never know if your guy's going to pan out or not. So fix your culture at a foundation. That's how you win football games. I'm happy to see them playing football and winning again. Now you, now you have an opportunity to bring in Aiden Hutchinson, who is going to continue to emphasize the culture. Dan Campbell is a well-respected coach across the league. He was the tight end coach down in New Orleans when I was coming out. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking to him on the phone. Great guy. Well-respected across you know, the coaching staff and the players across the entire NFL. He's a great guy. Again, a culture changer. So, you get to a culture as a foundation of winning. That's when you ultimately get back to your goal of becoming a playoff team. Not by saying, let's throw games and get to the number one pick. People will hate the game of football. They'll, hate, they'll, they'll, they'll despise the organization. I think winning is what players work so hard for. Let's get back to that. Then bring in the talent. Then you have this perfect mesh of getting back to where you want to be, which is winning playoff games. Yeah, what do you recall from your conversations with Dan Campbell? I mean, a head coach that come in and has just really, I think, galvanized 
and really brought in a lot of support in regards to the locker room with the Lions and with the fan base. I think he's got a lot of support, and you just see it in the couple of victories. You see a team that's fought uh, tooth and nail, hasn't given up. You know, the old saying here on here is the I-75 eyes for players yeah. that don't want to be here, and I think the culture is steadily changing. I mean, the, the, just look at the performance against the Arizona Cardinals, one of the best teams in the NFC. You went out there and you didn't com- just compete. You dominated. You won by 18 points at home. And I think that that victory can be the start of something significant. And the one thing you do here across the board, no matter what, from the players, they know that the man talking to them, Dan Campbell, that's who he is. There's no BS. He's authentic. He's a person that is true to who he is, right or wrong or indifferent. That's who he is. And I think a lot of players respect the fact that he played the game, understands their position, understands the, the mindset that you're talking about. Hey, we got a job to do. But we can also have some fun and keep things at a certain level in regards to the seriousness of football. What do you recall talking to him? And I think potentially if Brad Holmes, if Brad Holmes does the job, gets him the right pieces, maybe adds a couple more Wolverines. Maybe there's an opportunity for this thing to kick off here in Detroit. I mean, you just hammered it. Um, Just a genuine guy and guys can smell BS from a mile away. He's a genuine dude. And again, like football coaches often can they can be too hyper focused on football that they that they forget they're a human being. Um, and, you know, and immediately you talk to Dan Campbell and you see that, you know, he's a human being that he actually, he cares for you. And you, I just knew he wanted to see me succeed. Um, I remember him telling me, he's like, Hey man, I know you're a pro- prolific pass catcher, but I think you got great feet. You know, you right now I was about 250 pounds. He's like, you know, have you ever considered getting up to maybe 260, 265 and trying to use your feet to be more of a dominant blocker in the NFL? And like, of course, like initially um, my ego was hit. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm a pass catching tight end. I know I can run routes. And, but I knew at its foundation as he was saying that because he wanted to see me play 12 years in the NFL and have a successful career. And there was no question in my mind about that. So um, those are the main things that stand out. And those are the main things that need to stand out um, when you're trying to change a culture is you need your, you need to know that your coach has your best interest in mind and has a common goal with you of, Hey, we need to get back to winning. Thoroughly enjoying our conversation with Jake, but I'm just curious right now, what are, what are you up to post NFL career? Uh, a lot of this, man. I mean, I think I'm going to try to get into broadcasting media. Um, love, love being around football, love breaking down football, analyzing. I still watch it with a, with a, with that, that certain eye where I'm not watching the end result. I like to see the why of what happens. I like to see the O line, you know, hit on their combo blocks and create a hole. I like to see route combinations, um, you know, execute perfectly. Um, to create create crevices in the defense. So um, that's kind of how I watch it. I think I can do it. Um, you know, it'd probably stick around college football. So we'll see where it goes. Um, obviously, a lot of, lot of competition in there, but I think I can do it. Absolutely. I have no doubt that you can do it. You have the right mindset. And obviously, having played the game, you'll have a unique perspective of where things are, not only what's going on with the X's and O's, but potentially the behind the scenes mindset. And that's so important. I think a lot of people are now paying attention to not only just the physicality, the the stats, the numbers, the measurables, but they're also paying attention to what a person, what their character is like, what they bring to the table, what their makeup is like, their competitive spirit, their drive, how they handle adversity. And uh, I think any network would be lucky to have you if they do indeed call your name so i'm curious give me the scouting report one uh, the detroit lions uh spent a first round pick on uh, tj hawkinson third year mm. unfortunately ends a little prematurely with a hand injury out for the year but i think you're starting to see the makings of a tight end that can play 12 years in the league i think that if this continues to build and and when you have the lions building a running game in old line if they can yeah. just sprinkle in a couple now talented wide receivers i think it just inevitably will open things up for tj hawkinson you see it it's just not there mm. just yet 
I mean, I thought he was really hitting his stride. It's unfortunate to have the the injury happen, but you know, thankfully, it's not an injury that you expect to really hamper him down the line. It seems like it's a clean fix. It should be, you know, 100% by OTAs next offseason. But he's got that Iowa blood, man. He's got that that certain explosive hips, so he can really throw on you in the run game. And then he's also got, you know, he's, he's not a he's not a 40 guy, but he's pretty damn fast, pretty explosive. And I think when you watch him run routes. You know, you run a corner route and on paper it says, hey, you got to push up to 10, 12 yards break and take it to an angle of 25 yards. That's that's being a football robot. You have to have a feel for zone coverages. You have to have a feel for the timing of the quarterback in the pocket. I think when you watch him play, he's got a great feel for the game. Got smooth hands. Um, He's good after the catch. He's very explosive. Um, He's really the whole package. And you got to you know, there's people say don't draft a tight end in the first round. Because typically it takes a couple of years for the tight end. It's a very hard position to transition to. And here he is with a couple of years under his belt. Um, obviously, he's got a Pro Bowl under his belt already. Um, I think he's only going to get better from here. And, you know, you look at a, you, and again, a, a culture, a team like the Detroit Lions is, you could argue they are lacking in talent relative to the, the premier teams in this league. So, um, at, you know, whoever your quarterback is, they're looking for that safety valve. They're looking for that easy throw to try to, you know, you're not always going to get these explosive 80 yard touchdowns over top. Sometimes you're going to have to do it the hard way and, and hit the eight to 10 yard out routes, the, the dig routes, the over the ball routes, the corner routes. And he seems to have a great feel for finding those zones, catching the ball, getting upfield and, you know, extending drives on third down. So I, I, if I was a Lion fan, I'd be very, very grateful to have him. I think he's going to continue to improve over the years. Um, I think he's proved himself already. I don't think he has much else to prove. It's just continuing to build that trust with whoever the quarterback is going forward um, and, and earning more and more targets and doing more and more with it. Um, you got a really good one. And I'm definitely fascinated. You told me that Godwin Igwebuke, you're very close to, very close with a friend that's on the current Lions roster. How did that relationship develop? And have you picked his brain a little bit about the locker room playing in the NFL, kind of just what it's like to play for Dan Campbell at the highest level? Because it's certainly unique when you hear what Campbell delivers to the media, his energy, and you just see it, like I said, in the uh, post game. It feels like everybody, and, and even former players and players on different teams have said that, hey, after a meeting with Dan Campbell, they feel like they just want to go out there and punch a wall and get out there and play. And you've seen it. You, you see a guy that potentially has the ability to motivate a lot of different people. And with Godwin's sure. situation, having changed positions, I think it's a very unique thing to have a friend, you know, in, in the NFL, especially going through the ups and downs, trials and tribulations. What's that relationship been like with you and Godwin? I've known Godwin since like my, my, uh, since kindergarten, um, went to his birthday parties all the time. His mom, uh, his mom calls herself my black mother. So like, basically <laughs> like, she's like a second mother to me, really close with his family. Um, Godwin is just the salt of the earth, man. He's a really, really special dude. And I think you're seeing that play out. He played safety at Northwestern. He was a running back in high school. He was so damn talented carrying the ball. When he had a ball in his hands, you expected him to score every single time. So explosive, fast, tough, you know, just everything you would look for in a ball carrier. But he spent four years, five years at Northwestern playing safety. Then he goes and, you know, has different, whether it's NFL, CFL, uh, Spring League, playing more safety, more safety. Then this year, again, Dan Campbell recognizes this. Hey, let's try you out at kick returner. Looks good carrying the ball. Hey, man, why don't you, you know, safety's pretty deep. Why don't we try you at running back this year? Like that's, 
you know, that's a coach that is seeing everything that's saying, hey, let's put we have our guys right now. Let's put each one individually in the best position for them to succeed. And ultimately, that will allow our team to be in the best position to succeed. So Godwin's just transitioning after, you know, eight years of playing safety back to running back. You've seen him flash this year with some of his carries, what he's been able to do on kick return. Obviously, you know, a couple a tough stretch here fumbling the ball uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, I can assure you that, you know, he knows it. He knows that's not good enough. Um, he trusts himself that he's going to get that cleaned up. I trust him too. I mean, anything he's put in his mind to, he's been able to succeed. Um, there's no excuses, but he is getting back to carrying the football in the NFL. I'll tell you one thing defense is emphasizing the NFL is punching the ball out and creating turnovers. So he's really going to have to emphasize that going forward, get that cleaned up. I think he has the talent as a vision and a ball carrier to go out there and, and create and make plays. But obviously you got to take care of the ball first. That's a number one priority. So he knows he's got to get that cleaned up. I bet he will get it cleaned up. Um, but as service level, man, it just speaks on Dan Campbell. I mean, just giving a guy a chance that probably had, didn't have a chance buried on the depth chart at safety and now has a chance to go maybe carve out a, an awesome career at running back and, and be a special story if he's not already one as it is. I've enjoyed our conversation. Our time with Jake Butt has just been amazing talking football. You see the energy, you see the mindset, you see the potential of a rising media star, somebody that understands the game of football. Also, more importantly, understands the game of life. And when you see somebody that just says, hey, I know there's a story out there. Come talk to me. I have perspective. Please come reach out. I want to share information and to see Jake share even about things that are tough regarding his career, regarding things that are related now that are personal to him. You see somebody that's resilient. And when we have the opportunity to talk to somebody like Jake, I hope we get a chance again because this platform, this platform has been great. And Jake, thank you so much for your time. Tell everybody that's listening where they can find you, where they can interact with you, talk ball with you, and then follow you as you rise in your career. Yeah, interact with me, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, My Twitter handle is JakeButtTE, standing for tight end. Um, Also, my name on there is JBooty. You can also find me at JBooty on Instagram. So um, I'm always talking football, talking life, obviously Michigan football, but um, we're seeing some more in-depth analysis, been doing a lot of podcasts, a a lot of different things. So um, reach out to me. I'm very engaging with, you know, my fans and the Twitter followers. So don't be afraid to tweet me and ask any questions um, and, and we'll interact. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing you guys and happy holiday season. Yep. Everybody make sure everywhere that you find your favorite podcast, just type in Detroit sports podcast, and you can find all our daily content talking to great athletes, great insight, all analysis in regards to the Detroit lions as well. Thanks everybody. We appreciate your download.